Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, September 22nd, 2015. And I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Just to remind you, Mercury is retrograde until October the 9th. And if you're not familiar with that, you can do an Internet search about it or look on our site on the events page. Uh, It's just not a good time to start something new or launch a new project, but it's great for contemplation and spiritual reflection, although um, your technological devices may act up a little bit. And the autumnal equinox is um, actually very early this coming morning. And uh, it does seem like it was was just the 4th of July, wasn't it? And now here it is, the autumn equinox. Well, our special guest this evening is Dr. Patty Fivette, whose latest book is called When Life Cried Out, One Woman's Spiritual Quest to Be Fully Alive. For years, Patty did what everyone expected and needed her to do, yet with paralyzing anxiety and a dysfunctional marriage, she made a very courageous decision and soon put pen to paper, chronicling a seven-year-long journey of self-discovery and spiritual enlightenment. Self-actualization and spiritual growth are the rewards for readers of her new book, When Life Cried Out, who to take the to take to heart the dramatic memoir of a woman who emerged from a personal pilgrimage to become a teacher and earn a Ph.D. in metaphysics. She's also the author of The Making of a Mystic, Writing as a Form of Spiritual Emergence. You can visit her website, which is pattyfivet.com, and that's spelled P-A-D-D-Y-F-I-E-V-E-T.com or her publisher's website, Warwick Associates, W-A-R-W-I-C-K, Associates.com. At the top of the show, it's the Starseed News with Anastasia, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream media. We'd like to thank Fiona and Vanya for hosting the Switchboard this evening. And we have an online Starseed community, if you'd like to be with like-minded people, and that is at starseedhotline.ning.com. And thanks to Tammy for her dedication to our forum community. You can download our show podcast on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page and just look for the cloud with an arrow icon. And if you'd like to support our show, we'd sure appreciate it. Just click follow on our page here at Blog Talk and you'll get our weekly show notices to see what's coming up. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy. And if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. 
You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. However, if you want um, a Stage 2 reading to help you interpret those energies, uh, try to book it at least a couple of months ahead to make sure that it happens before your birthday does. So first this evening, I am going to um, introduce Anastasia. And, oh, the screen just jumped. Where'd you go, Anastasia? There you go. Okay. Wow, that was weird. Okay, Anastasia, how are you doing Hi. this evening? Hi, good evening, Ariel. Great to be with you. I don't know it's Mercury retrograde. You know it's just been sort of strange, as always. So I disappeared, but now I'm back. Yeah, can you hear I mean, me? I, 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 yeah, I can hear you just fine. And, uh, yeah, I clicked good. the button, and the whole screen shifted, and I was like, where'd you go? So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, live but, radio. Isn't it fun? you got to laugh just it off. All kinds of things. Yeah, but you're always real good with it. Well, here we go. Let's start with the news tonight. We have an Equinox Aurora Watch. And they say this comes from spaceweather.com, everybody, where we get a lot of our sun news and space news. But the article starts out by saying that researchers don't fully understand why, but auroras are particularly common around equinoxes. They say at this time of the year, even a gentle gust of solar wind can spark a bright display. Now, tomorrow, which today's the 22nd, so this will be the 23rd, is the northern uh, autumnal equinox, as you know, the beginning of autumn. They say it's perfect timing because a CME is expected to deliver a blow to Earth's magnetic field tomorrow. They say it might be a weak impact, but because it's the first day of autumn, they say that it will probably create uh, really brilliant auroras for people to watch. So a lot of activity in the sky if you're in the northern latitudes tomorrow. And there is an epic night sky event. There will be a rare supermoon lunar eclipse on the 27th. On the 27th, what we call the harvest moon will pass through the shadow of the earth, and it will turn the disk to red. They say that we can see it if we live in North and South America, Europe, Africa, Western Asia, and the Eastern Pacific Ocean region. We'll watch this total eclipse that occurs when the moon looks abnormally large, that's why they call it a supermoon, and bright in the Earth's sky. They say it will be the first supermoon eclipse since 1982, and the last one until 2033. So it's going to be Ooh. a big event on the 27th. Yeah. You know, usually when that happens and I want to see those, there's clouds in the sky. But maybe this year I'll get lucky, you know. Well, in, in uh, Pompeii, Italy, a pre-Roman tomb has been unearthed, contains the remnants of an adult woman and numerous clay jars from the 4th century B.C., now, it was a French archaeological team that found the burial chamber, and they found it quite by accident, and they were surprised. The tomb dates back to the time of the Samnites, which is an Italic people that lived, was an Italic people that lived in the southern central part of the peninsula, who happened to fight against the Romans. They were not Roman friendly. It's believed, however, despite this, that the Romans knew of the tomb's presence and did not disturb the site or build on it. Hmm mystery deepens, and the tomb managed to survive undisturbed because the Romans didn't bother it for more than 2,000 years. Amazing. All those little stories that we can surmise about but never know the facts. That's pretty interesting. Actually, I had not known of the Samnites, so those of you who are uh, into archaeology and history and stuff like that may have heard of them before, but that's interesting. The deeper we go, the more stuff we find. We're always finding stuff. And a new report issued uh, by some studies that just came out said that the worst nuclear disaster since 1986 Chernobyl meltdown 
in other words, also known as Fukushima, should never have happened. This is according to a study published in the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society. It's a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, Researchers had put together a distillation of thousands of pages of government and industry reports and hundreds of news stories that focused on the run-up to the disaster. What they discovered is, quote, Arrogance and ignorance, design flaws, regulatory failures, and improper hazard analysis doomed this nuclear power plant even before the tsunami hit. Even if there hadn't been a tsunami, it was destined to have a meltdown. And also, as a related story, which I'm just rehearsing to you from memory, it's not in my script for tonight, but apparently the Japanese government is calling people to go back to the Fukushima prefecture uh, to live, claiming that it's safe and free from radiation, which is, I mean, experts are saying this is outrageous, it's absurd, it's shocking, horrifying, because according to what's been written, they don't even know uh, where the core is. They don't know if it's in the ground. They don't know if it's melting to the center of the earth. Nobody knows where these things are. In fact, they've lost them. And it is emitting a great uh, deal of radiation, although the Japanese government apparently is telling people that it's perfectly safe to go back there. Just thought I'd add that uh, as a side. Because <laughs> sooner or later, when people start getting sick, it's going to be apparent. It's going to be apparent, yeah. I think that these politicians and powers that be that are uh, playing this little game figure that they'll probably be old and dead before anybody ever catches them with their criminal activity. That's often how it goes, you know. They 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 calculate the time and the amount of uh, gain that they have to postpone telling the truth, and a lot of them figure out they're not going to be around to have to account for themselves anyway. That's how it often goes. Uh All right. Well, in Chile, there was an earthquake uh, last Wednesday, an 8.3 magnitude, biggie, biggie, biggie. But what they've discovered now is that the seismic waves from that most recent earthquake will have shaken up other earthquake faults and possibly make them more likely to slip. They say that this last 8.3 earthquake could have triggered aftershocks as far as 621 miles away. Now, they're saying that because they have analyzed that these kinds of quakes can shake up grains of rock, turning them into a slip-like substance, a, uh, what, Uh, you know, watery, slippery, slip is something we use when we talk about um, uh, making uh, pottery, pottery slip. And uh, they say that that's what happens to the earth underground with that kind of a quake, and they say that uh, it causes more quakes, so up to 621 miles away. That's new. That's just out of New Scientist. And around the sun, SOHO has found something. The Solar and Heliospheric Observatory, which happens to be a joint product of the European Space Agency and NASA, discovered its 3,000th sun-grazing comet. And they say that this is, uh, makes Soho the greatest comet finder of all time. Well, naturally, you know, people haven't often been looking for comets from a space observatory, so it would stand to reason that it is the all-time comet finder. However, the latest Soho images that they captured on the 18th of this month, just a few days ago, shows a massive unknown object with a tail that goes around the sun. Now, the force of this object they think should be enormous, and a closer look at it shows that it's solid and it's spherical, and something that can't be explained as a natural artifact. And some people out there are asking, what kind of object can survive a close encounter with the sun? 
Is it a UFO, a huge space rock, or something else? Don't know. Um, and also on Monday, a uh, 6.5 magnitude quake hit Chile. That was according to the USGS. It shook buildings in the capital. It occurred 30, 130 miles south, excuse me, northwest of Santiago, and it was 15 miles in depth. Chile's been getting hard, hit hard with a lot of quakes. They had uh, 10 quakes recently of, uh, and aftershocks, 10 quakes and aftershocks who had a magnitude of 6 point or, or greater. I just mentioned the 8.3. We just talked about the 6.3. They just had a, a, another 6.3, a 6.5. Chile's just been rocking and rolling down there. A lot going on. And out of the Los Angeles Times, this came out yesterday, they said that more than 1,600 structures have been destroyed as the three deadly wildfires continued to burn through thousands of acres in Northern California. That's my home stomping grounds. They say as fires made progress on the Valley and Butte fires, hundreds of people displaced by the blazes turned uh, came home on the weekend to find their homes in ruins uh, burnt. Now, the Valley Fire, which was one of the most destructive in the state's entire history, has burned 75,781 acres, destroyed over 1,000 structures, and left some people dead. This one ignited September 12th, and it traveled 10 miles in 10 hours, expanding to 50,000 acres in the space of a day. They say that they're still crisscrossing the burn area, trying to put it out, but they say that by yesterday morning, the fire was 70% contained. And in New Zealand, I've got some friends in New Zealand right now. Parts of northeastern New Zealand are experiencing severe flooding after one month of rain fell in one day. Now, during a 24-hour period yesterday, about four inches fell. That's Monday, actually. Um, They're a day ahead of us, so it would have been two days ago to them. Anyway, typical monthly averages for the whole of September stand at about two and a half inches. So in 24 hours, they got an inch and a half more than they normally get in an entire month. And in Hong Kong, same story. Flooding hit parts of Hong Kong uh, yesterday after more than four inches of rain fell in just two hours in some places. And that's almost double Hong Kong's total monthly rainfall for September. There's a lot of flooding going on all over the planet. I just don't have time to report on all of it. Story after story after story. Flooding and wildfires both. Well, here's a story that I want to share with you because a lot of people take medications uh, and a lot of people gripe about the cost of medication. Well, here's an outrageous story for you. A hedge fund has bought the rights to an anti-parasite drug, which has been commonly used for a long time. And it's hiked its price by 5,000%. Now, this is just enough to make anybody ill. Specialists in infectious disease are now protesting a gigantic overnight increase in the price of a 62-year-old drug that's been the standard of care for treating a life-threatening parasitic infection. This drug is called Daraprim, and it was acquired in August by a pharmaceutical company, which was managed by a former hedge fund manager. Now, this manager himself immediately raised the price to $750 a tablet, up from $13.50, bringing the annual cost of treatment to hundreds of thousands of dollars for a lot of people. Now, this hedge fund manager, who's responsible for this pricing, is famous for starting his own hedge fund while he was still in his 20s. But he's already drawn attention for urging the FDA not to approve drugs made by companies whose stocks he himself was shorting. Now, according to Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, this hedge fund manager has acknowledged that he has no medical expertise whatsoever. And furthermore, 
his country sta- his company stands to increase sales in the magnitude of hundreds of millions of dollars from the price increase of this one pill, according to the articles that I read. Astonishing. Well, from Newsweek, they say that you may not have to use earphones anymore in the future, that maybe music will just be played right on through your skull. You know, we won't have tangled headphone cables and maybe have to listen to other people's uh, earbuds when we're sitting next to them on a bus. Because now, a design company claims to have solved these problems by creating a device that plays music through your skull instead. It's called a bat band. It's available for pre-order at $149. It sits at the back of the wearer's head and has no earphones. Instead, three transducers, one on either side of the head and one at the back, emit sound waves that are conducted via the skull into the inner ear. The device can be paired with a smartphone or a music player via Bluetooth and has touch sensors that allow wearers to take calls or change tracks. And a lot of you women out there, you know, you have, yeah, I know, it's wild. It's wild, it's wild. Hold your, I mean, geez, somebody pull the plug on these people. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, a lot of women out there have used cosmetics, and maybe we've, from time to time, used toothpaste with those little teeny micro beads in them. Um, I've seen them from time to time, just floating around in maybe, uh, oh, I don't know, I was looking at some hand sanitizer once, and it had those little tiny beads in them. Well, anyway. That's what a microbead is. You've seen it floating in products. And scientists are now calling for a total ban on these microbeads. They put them in soap and toothpaste and face wash. But anyway, after an analysis has decided that 8 trillion, 8 trillion of the beads wind up in the waterways every day in the United States alone. They say that's enough microbeads to cover more than 300 tennis courts every day. This is according to a scientific article published this month in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. Uh, Conservationists are saying, quote, we are facing a plastic crisis and we don't even know about it because these microbeads are going into wastewater treatment plants that can't handle microbeads and they're indestructible. Furthermore, fish eat them, frogs eat them, and so on. And because the chemicals that's used in their manufacture poisons the fish in the aquatic life because they are toxic to eat. So there you go. Another one of those what after effects due to the complexity of our society and leaping before we think about it. And there's an example of it. All right. Well, in the UK, they have had a uh, fascinating sighting of a pulsating diamond-shaped UFO. Uh, The reports are that the light was seen hovering in the sky above a town called Merseyside. And it was a diamond-shaped object, rainbow-colored. It pulsated, getting brighter and brighter, and then fading only to reappear again. So there it is. And I know there are listeners tonight, or those that will pick this up later, who have seen those kinds of craft. And yes, indeed, they are appearing in the U.K., the sighting occurred. It was in a paper, uh, the Mirror, on the 18th of September. Well, an Australian student ha- claims to have developed a brand new ion space drive that will beat NASA's fuel efficiency record. They say that space engines might s- soon become far more resourceful because this this PhD student has claimed to beat this fuel efficiency record because he's developed a new type of space drive that can use a variety of metals even those found in space junk, as fuel. So he says that it is 
not efficient to accelerate a spacecraft, but it could be used for the transportation of cargo over long distances in space. Using space junk, that's cool. Yeah. Well, Mauna Loa, Hawaii. Huh, I'm sorry, Ariel, what'd you say? I said recycling. Absolutely. And you I know, did, yeah. the amount of space junk that we have floating up there is, I mean, it's horrific. There's just a lot of stuff up there. Be really good to recycle that and get that out of our atmosphere. Well, Mauna Loa, Hawaii, we have some uh, advisory status going on for the volcano. Now, the amount of small earthquakes beneath the summit of Mauna Loa has more than tripled recently, and it's prompted the USGS to increase the volcano alert from normal to advisory. It went from green to yellow, in other words. They say that, uh, according to the USGS, on the, over the past year, they have been getting around 150 earthquakes a month. And they say that the last eruption of the Mauna Loa was in 1984. Lava flowed for 22 days, but now, more than 30 years later, the mountain is starting to stir again. And we've talked about Mexico's Colima volcano on this program, and sure enough, it is erupting now. It has spewed ash and smoke over nearby towns, and it erupted at dawn on uh, a couple days ago, I think. But video from the scene shows thick plumes of black smoke. says that it's gone two kilometers into the air. They have uh, put out advisories, and people were evacuated from nearby towns because they're afraid of a major eruption. Well, in lieu of the, or I should say in tandem, with the wildfire report out of California, winter also is beginning in the western United States as snow is falling or has fallen on California, Idaho, Utah, and Colorado. They say a day after the worst report about the bleakest snow conditions in 500 years for the Sierra Nevada, meaning no snowpack to help alleviate the drought, snow began falling late last week. They say it's not much, and it won't matter for the four-year drought, but they say they're they're looking forward to it. So, in fact, in uh, Lassen National uh, uh, Park, the Volcanic Park, Caltrans closed Highway 89 because of snow, and they say that there was... Snow above 7,000 feet in Idaho, Utah, and Colorado. So might be getting a little bit of an early winter, and just possibly they'll build up some snowpack to help alleviate the drought. That would be a great thing. All right, well, here's one to make your hair curl. <laughs> UK scientists have applied for permission to genetically modify human embryos for the first time as part of research into the earliest stage of human development. Now, stem cell scientists at the Francis Crick Institute in London have asked the government's fertility regulator, can you believe there's such a thing, the government's fertility regulator for a license to perform controversial genome editing on human embryos. Now, researchers hope the experiments will help scientists to learn more about genes in the first few days of human fertilization. And Chinese researchers became the first researchers in the world to announce that they had altered the DNA of human embryos in April. This news prompted a fresh debate over the ethics of cheap and simple new genetic techniques, dubbed genome editing, which enable scientists to modify human genes. So, wow. There they go. Oh. And in an associated article this last week, they actually have developed in the laboratory artificial uh, sperm. <laughs> they are making it from stem cells. And they say that this has uh, benefits to men who are sterile and uh, that they plan on developing sperms from uh, the laboratory so that uh, people can procreate via 
laboratory techniques. It's not just women now, but men also. So, associated news. Technology is going faster than I can even report it. It is exponentially increasing. So, there you have it. And that's it for tonight's news. Wow. Anastasia, thank you so much. I'm I'm amazed at how much is going on, and it seems to be escalating. But thank you for keeping us all informed on things like this, because you're just not going to hear it somewhere else. So we appreciate it very much. Thank you. You're so welcome. Okay. Well, we will um, be moving on in our program, but thank you, Anastasia. We'll have more news next week, I'm sure. So at this time, I am going to um, open up your microphone, Lavendar, and um, bring our guest, Patty Fivette, on the show. Hang on, Patty. Okay. All right, ladies, you're on the air. Take it away. Well, Lavender here. Patty, I'm so glad that you were able to move on a dime and, and, and be with us uh, tonight. I know you, I didn't give you much time to um, prepare, although reading your book, it sounds like you're pretty prepared already. So why don't you tell us uh, about your book, When Life Cried Out, and tell tell us about the process of writing your, your book and what specifically prompted you to write about this part of your life? Well, first, let me say I'm glad to be here. Uh, um, uh, this is delightful. I enjoyed the news, but but I may have to shake my head in amazement of what humanity is doing to humanity these days. But anyway, uh-huh. to get back <laughs> to get back to your question, when life cried out, it was a gut feeling. I felt that I needed to write down my stories, not I mean my experiences, not just for my benefit, but it felt like it had a purpose larger larger than I could conceive. And um as I began to write the stories, I didn't consider myself a writer and as I began to write so I had a learning curve about how how to do the phrasing and, and the conversation and, and these type things. But as I would write my stories down, I realized that something else was happening. I began to understand my stories from a newer perspective, a higher perspective, a more spiritual perspective. And I have since read that trauma is uh, located in the the one part of the brain, you know, the fight-or-flight part of the brain. And you can talk about trauma forever with a professional. It will not move from that part of the brain to the analytical part of the brain unless you write it. These are are facts that I have read from several different sources, and I I can't remember the sources because I didn't know I was going to talk about that, didn't look them up. But um, they have proved this with, with cancer patients and everything and a lot of other patients and trauma patients and and that if it's you write your story down it uh it literally puts it in a different perspective and I would like to add to the scientific research it puts it in a spiritual perspective because it really really does and while you have the spiritual experience, while you you have the intuitive things that bring you from point A to point B, while you have the intuitive guidance 
which uh, in, in my world is just the voice of God, a voice of spirit, uh, the voice of the universe speaking to you, your connection. While you have that, the um, something about writing it down brings it, uh, your understanding just accelerates into a high vibrational form. Right. So tell us about some of the things that started happening for you when you first started writing. Uh, I noticed that you went through a divorce and you you had some things that were pretty crippling there for a little while. Uh, would you mind yeah, I, you know bringing us up to speed on how all that came about? Yeah, yeah, uh, real quickly because this can be a very long story. This is uh, uh, the book, um, the the other book that I wrote, uh, Making of a Mystic. I detail it. Uh, uh, more thoroughly in that book but i felt like i had begun an awakening i was still in the marriage i was it was not working for me at all but i didn't have a file folder that said it was all right to get divorced and uh the longer i stayed in that marriage the lost i lost more i lost my connection to myself if i ever had one to begin with one day i felt like i had to go to a carolyn mace uh, talk now. Carolyn Mace is. I had heard a little bit about her, but I was not a student of hers, and and it involved an hour and a half drive. I was not afraid to get in the car. I was agoraphobic at the time and did not like strange new places. But long story short, my intuition would not leave me alone. So I, I talked to a massage therapist friend of mine who was going with another client of his to let me sit with him. I was able to get there. The huge auditorium in the middle of the of the in the middle of the morning session, I had a grand mal panic attack. Now, my panic attacks were quite severe at that time. Sometimes I would have uh, almost four to six an hour. But it was it was terrific, and I just knew that three-story building was going to trap me, and I was just going to die forever. And I ran outside. The massage therapist knew what was happening. He got me inside. The lay- And here's the story. Here's the story. The lady next to me, who I did not know, I'd never laid eyes on her, she said, you're having a panic attack. Turn my your back to me and I can make it go away. She hit some acupressure points up and down my back and had me breathe in three different ways and whoof, the panic was gone. And I looked and said, I'm just like I had stepped into somebody else's reality. I said, who are you and what do you do? And she says, I'm an allergy intuitive. In my world, that did not exist. But uh, I made appointment. One thing led to another. I was allergic to that thing, to the lady's perfume in front of me. It was causing my brain chemicals to change. But over the over the nine months of, of sneaking out to get these treatments, I um, uh, went to her house one day for a course on intuition. She knew my intuition had been blocked in childhood. I did not realize that. But... I surprised myself by doing the exercises, but the last exercise changed my life. I said, go to a quiet corner, go into an altered state, write your question that has worried you all your life at the top of your paper, and then, in your altered state, see what kind of answer you get. See how it comes through your intuition, whether it's a vision or, or whatever. So I did that. The question that plagued me at this point in my time in life was, why do I never feel good enough? And that's what I wrote at the top of my paper, ex- having no expectations whatsoever. I didn't think anything would happen. But I went into the altered state. I played like I was a Sufi mystic who knew what she was doing. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But obviously I did it good, well enough because something out there took over my hand 
and started writing at the top of the page, wrote at the bottom of the page, or at the middle of the page, I was like the witness. I wasn't reading it. I wasn't writing it. My hand was writing it. I knew now it was called automatic writing. And uh, it was the most profound answer in this world. And it was, I call it Spiritual Psychology 101. I was began to continue this process, and I would get answers. Who is or what is God? Why do I never feel good enough? You know, uh, deep, deep questions. And that's how my writing started. Something out there loved me enough to step into my life and help me, and I totally surrendered to it. I totally surrendered to it. I think of it as God. I think of it as the energy of God. I don't need to personify it. That's good enough for me. The energy of God did this. So how many years ago was that? That started in uh, about the turn of this century. Okay. About 2000. Yeah, okay. Yeah. When did you you feel safe enough to jump on airplanes and go? Uh, I didn't feel safe enough to jump on airplanes, but you have to weigh your fears. I um, I divorced. The divorce took a a year and a half. I knew I could not go to different places by myself. I found somebody on a message board for intuitive people because my intuition flooded my soul at that point, and I didn't know what to do with it. So I got on a message board for intuitive people, and I asked, does anybody living in a foreign country want to take on a scaredy cat for a, a, a month so I can get out of my environment and figure out who I am for a while? Two people from Ghent, Belgium, said, we will help. One of them followed through. And that's how I did. And so I, you weigh the fears. What am I more afraid of? Am I more afraid of being trapped on that plane? Or am I more afraid of being trapped in my life as it is? And I was more afraid of being trapped in my life as it was. And so I had to move forward. I had to face the fear. I had to get to the airport. I had to um, get on that plane. I shook all the way across the ocean. (laughs) But I did it. Good. So it's just so a matter of which fear is bigger. What did you I'm find sorry? in Belgium? Uh, since this is a rather intuitive audience, um, uh, I'm assuming it's a rather intuitive, awakened audience. Uh, Very awake uh, audience. Just, Go ahead. Okay, okay. What I found in Belgium was past life. Good. Yeah, that's what I found in Belgium, a past life. Uh, Eventually, I discovered several, but a past life. It took me three or four times to get on the bus. I'm less afraid of air, was less afraid of airplanes than I was buses. Buses just absolutely terrified me, and I could get on it and ride just a little bit. And it took me four days to even walk to the bus, but I got on the bus and got to the city center after four tries, the old city center of downtown Belgium, and I was walking around, and I got to where the cobblestone streets were very narrow and just very old. One of the buildings had 1,500 or something like that, you know, on one of the bricks, and, and just very, very old area. And my first thought down there surprised me. I totally relaxed. I felt like I was home. And I said, oh, my goodness, so much has changed. And I've never been there in this lifetime. 
Wow. Yeah, and I, I, well, I am coming home. I am coming home to the true me. I am coming home to myself. And so that particular experience let me know that. And I kept traveling, but I never consciously decided, oh, that would be a neat place to go. I think I'll go. I learned uh, quite quickly in this trip to Belgium that I'm an environmental empath. And uh, I not only can feel the energies of people, but I feel earth energies. And in some places, it's very profound. And so uh, um, I never decided, hey, maybe that's, that place or the other place has wonderful earth energies, and I think I'll go there and feel it. It was never like that, Lavender. It was more like I would dream something. I would see it mentioned. My intuition would scream. It would just come into my awareness in various ways, and I would know I had to go. I would know I had to go. And the um, um, person in Belgium that was going to help me actually knew a lot about travels and so became a traveling companion to help me get from one place to the other. I noticed in your book that you did talk uh, about Egypt. Uh, Egypt is, a, is, of course, a very famous subject for our uh, listeners of our show. A lot of people have gone there and had oh, yes. high experiences. So if you wouldn't mind telling us what happened to you in Egypt. Okay, I went to Egypt twice. Um, the first time, uh, it was quite peculiar the way I uh, uh, discovered that I was called to go to Egypt. I was driving down the road. It was a six-lane highway, expressway, just driving down the road. And my third eye, I'm aware of the head of a woman with a very funny hat on. It has no brim. I think the woman is bald-headed. And she's got this heavy goldish necklace on. And and it's sort of in front of me. And, and I know it's a vision. You know, I, I know it's a psychic vision because I had had them before. Okay, thank you for sharing. Now go away. I'm driving. And uh, the thing wouldn't, it, it, you know, it, it came, the vision was, was very close to me. It came in the car. Okay, I'm going to pull over. Thank you. I didn't know who it was. I called a friend who was aware of these things. Oh, that's Nefertiti. And I thought, well, what does Nefertiti have to do with my life? What what in the world? I looked her up on the Internet. I did some research and uh, learned about her. And at night, the vision, uh, the dreams would say, Heal my Nile. Well, I didn't understand that. I thought I was called to go to Egypt to heal the Nile. What did I have to do with healing the Nile? That was not what I was getting. Heal, period, my Nile. I had so many fears. It was stopping me from going places. And so... It wouldn't go away. I, I, so I was turned on TV one time, just random station, and there was a special on Nefertiti. I was standing in line at the grocery store and looked over to my right at the magazines they have there, and there was one of the, the main magazines, Time or something like that, magazines that said, had a whole picture of Nefertiti on the front. It was just everywhere. Okay, you've got me my attention. I'll go. I couldn't afford the several thousand dollars it was going to cost to get from here to there. And so I was going to Europe back and forth uh, uh, fairly regularly, but but not enough to need a visa. And um, while I was in Europe one time, uh, an email came from a travel company in the Netherlands, and I'd never heard of it, but it was in English so I could read it. And they had a a trip from from, uh, the Netherlands from 
to uh, from Amsterdam to uh um the middle nile area and it a five star boat uh all food all trips included you know all cost provided even the airplane uh trip from from the netherlands and it was only 800 american dollars wow i had to go yeah, i had course. to go i i went i went and i took all my fears along with me and at one point the trip um we were in a little boat, and we were crossing what is now a lake, but used to, uh, a lake. It was caused by a dam, and I don't know what the name of the lake is, and I apologize for that. But we were crossing the uh, lake in this little little boat, and oh, the panic came so big, and I thought I will. N- I, I thought I can't even see. It was so bad. The panic was so bad, and I was for the most part on my own. My traveling companion was not with me at that point, but had elected to do something else that day, and I went with the group. But um, by the time I got off the boat, I was the only one getting off the boat. I mean, I was the last one that got off the boat. Everybody else just scooted off because we were at the Temple of Isis. And uh, I walked in, and the two people from, um, I think they were all from Australia, helped me get off the boat and got me where I could stand up. And, and then I began to breathe deeply, and I kept repeating in my head the 23rd Psalm. It came from my religious teachings years ago. And uh, I will fear no evil, you know, that part. And so I kept I kept repeating that. It was giving me a little bit of strength. By the time I got through and back on the boat, I walked in the Temple of Isis with more fears than you can count on both hands. I walked out of the Temple of Isis without them. Wow. Whoa. It was phenomenal. So what happened inside the temple? Not much. Not much. I walked around. I saw the columns. I saw the, the statues. I saw the relief. And But I got to one part, and I think it's called an A-N-K-A-N-K-A-N-K. Knock, yeah, a knock. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, thank you. But anyway, it was a staff of some sort with a design on the top of it. I had not studied anything from Egypt. I was just very experiencing it um, from a very empathic point of view. And as I was still reciting parts of the of the twenty um, third psalm, I rounded the corner, and there was a statue of one of the gods uh, uh, carved into the wall, and they had this this staff thing uh, with this design on the top, and then the the verse that said, "My rod and my staff they comfort you." And at that point, I surrendered to a higher power that we are each part of and that is part of each of us. I surrendered to it. I felt it. I knew it was there. I don't like to use the word magic, but I love to use the word mystical. It was a mystic moment. You know what just came to me as you were telling me that? When you saw that onk, it probably... Uh, energized you in some way. It was like a code, a code that was activating your subconscious, your higher mind. I think it all came together at that moment. I think you're probably right. I had not thought of it in those terms, but I think you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it was, it was zip. There it is. Yeah. So so you left there. Did, did you go back up to Cairo, to the to the Great Pyramid? 
I went back home and I went back to Egypt at a, <laughs> another year. I in, in between, I had had several trips, but one of the trips was to Auschwitz. Uh, but after Auschwitz, I felt like I felt drained, and I felt very, very drained for a month. And Why did you go um, to Auschwitz? That's a very strange place to go. Well, it is a very strange place to go, but I had considered myself a victim, and I could not get beyond victimization. I had a trouble. I had trouble doing that. It's a good place and to go vi- to get rid of it. That's for sure. Well, I didn't consciously <laughs> yeah, I think it. of it, but yes, that's what happened. Uh, there was a little church in Belgium. It was just a little simple church. You know, in, in Europe they have such wonderful, grand, beautiful churches with all these carvings and Michelangelo statues and all this beautiful artwork. But there was a little church uh, in the northeast section of Belgium that I would go to and meditate. And every time I went in that church, something special happened. Every time. I got an aha or something happened every time. And um, so I was just in that that little church one day, and I got a um, quite a uh, uh, in meditation, just quite a vision. And I knew, came out, and I knew I had to go to Auschwitz. I knew I had to go to Auschwitz, and I mentioned to my travel companion who was standing by the river behind the church. And he said, "Are you insane? Your uh, with your level of empathy, it's going to lay you out." And I said, "I have to go to Auschwitz with you or without you. I have to go to Auschwitz. I'll find somebody else to go with. I have to go to Auschwitz." So we went to Auschwitz. Auschwitz was oh, it was a horrible place, and my my friend had trouble walking through the gate that says work makes free in german he had trouble walking through the gate he really did but i walked into auschwitz and uh they had made it a museum of sorts it was cleaned up uh the buildings were brick and uh different countries had made different um museums out of them i loved the Belgium Museum because it told from newspaper articles and printed declarations about the loss of freedom, loss of freedom from the Hebrew, for the Hebrew people, for the Jewish people, and uh, that that was that that's a history lesson that we all need to know. But there was a couple, one building that I ran out of. I ran the wrong way, and the, the guard was fussing at me about running the wrong way. But it was uh, they had human hair up there. I thought if I don't get out of here, I'm going to be physically ill, literally. And uh, I, I about was, but the guard realized that and finally just says, "Get out! Get out! Get out!" You know. And so I literally just physically ill. And I walked into the crematorium. They rebuilt it. It wasn't the original one, but they rebuilt it for the tourist and uh i had visions i had visions of a lady that that had been there that had died in a crematorium and i dreamed about her for a long time but when i came out of that crematorium i mean it was real as if i were her but when i came out of that crematorium uh the traveling companion and i in the book i call him peter we were standing the peter and i were standing there and and to this day, I don't remember if he was in that crematorium with me, if he visited in it with me. I was so into that vision. And, um, oh, the vision was, was had had come to me. 
it was a past life, but I didn't know it at the time. And uh, we were standing, and all of a sudden, this man was there next to us. And he said, we didn't see him come up. And he said, if you really want to have your experience, go to Auschwitz too." Well, Peter nor I knew what Auschwitz II was. It's Birkenau. Birkenau is the place you see in the movies and the newsreels where they're on the train and they get off the cattle cars and the train. The, the track goes right through this big, huge gate. And uh, uh, families are separated from families and you're told to go this way or that way and, and most don't live, you know. And uh, while Auschwitz was really, really tough, I lost it at Birkenau. I'll just tell you, I lost it. Acres and acres and acres and acres. You can walk Auschwitz, but there's no way you could walk all of Birkenau. Just miles. It looked to me like miles and miles of places where these huts were. And from the pictures I saw, it looked like chickens could not have lived in four months. And they yeah, were putting people there. Wow. And that's where most of the crematoriums were, were, were at Auschwitz. And and uh, I was sitting there on the uh, memorial that steps that they built, looking down that railroad track. And one thing after another started flooding out of my system, flooding out of my system. I understood my grandmother and the art of presentation. It was in the 1920s. They had the art of presentations. The female was supposed to look alluring to the man. And uh, she thought she was helping her granddaughters. And, you know, little things like that, I began to understand my life from other people's perspective or understand what happened to me from other person's perspective and from their lifestyle. And it was like so much just flooded out of my soul. And I walked down that railroad track. I walked down. After you, uh, for those out there that have done healing sessions, after you lose an issue after it moves out of each cell of your body, and I do believe that's where it lives, but after it moves out of your body and out of your psyche and out of your soul and and after it moves out, you need to replace it with something. Replace. Don't leave that blank space. Replace it with something. So I did not realize that at the time, but I was just following my intuition. I walked down that track, and the track just seems like it goes forever. It's horrible, horrible, horrible place. just seems like it goes forever. And there three-quarters of the way down the track toward the uh, the entrance the gate was somebody had stuck a real live red rose in a florist tube and stuck it in the little uh, gravel that was between the, in the railroad tracks. And I got down on my knees and cupped that red rose and said, bring love into my empty spaces. Bring love into my empty spaces. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and it, it happened. began to happen. It happened. It happened. I will not say it happened all at once. It was like a little oak tree that had acorn potential, and the acorn got the right conditions, and it began to bloom, and it turned into magnificent oak after it began to grow. I mean, it turned into magnificent oak. It was like that. The seeds of love were planted. It was my job to nurture them and culture them and let them grow. Wow. So did you but write I, these experiences as you as you had them, or did you wait uh, a long time before you decided I to write made, them? 
I made notes because remember the spiritual answer, a question and answer sessions? I was still doing that when I went to each of these places. I mean, I would go into altered state and I would get my, uh, and my, my hand would write and I was more conscious of what it was writing, but it was like I was taking dictation of things I needed to know. So I had all those things, all those writings that I would do at different places and I had the pertinent ones in when life cried out and, and they they were profound to me. I've had several people say it changed, several of them have changed their lives, but, uh, they were very profound for me and I, on the steps of Oswich, I was writing about neediness. Neediness. Neediness is actually just searching for love outside when the search for love is an inside job. It's already there. Yeah. The love is already there. It's a divine connection that we have. It's that, that mystical connection that we all have, and it's based on love, and it's already there. But uh, but neediness comes from searching outside of ourselves for it, and we look for it in a variety of ways. But anyway, after the Oswich experience, I was still processing it, and that lady that I dreamed about, the lady that, that I had the vision of in the crematorium, the lady that I had the vision of uh, getting off the train trying to protect twins, the lady that I knew was already in a deceased state when she saw one of the twins dying. All this is in the book. I won't go into the details because we're short on time, but all this is in the book. That lady plagued me for a month. She plagued me for a month in my dreams, and I could not, I could not, I could not put her at rest. And I had uh, tried to get somebody to do a past life, life regression for me. And lavender, and um, it just happened that one. <laughs> I love it when I say "just happened." We all know it doesn't just happen, but it just happened that about twenty twenty five days after I got back from Auschwitz, this gentleman called. Just out of the blue, he called and he said, "Do you remember me? You contacted me months ago." And I said, "Yes." And he said, um, "Would you like to do the regression this morning?" Yes. So I did it on the telephone. I started sitting in the chair, and then I wound up lying down on the floor. And uh, at one point, I was telling him about the gates and walking in the gates of Birkenau and about a uh, vision that I had seen where a holy man, a uh, Hebrew holy man, uh, was getting off, and he was singing, and he was leading his troops to the death chamber, and they were singing. And I said, I don't know what that one is about. And he said, let me call you back. Let me call you back. Let me call you back. And I thought, well, what have I done? But anyway, he had to get himself together. And he said, that was his past life. And he had never been able to go through a gate in this life. And knew, and he had always heard a holy man singing. You know. And uh, I... I was able to um, talk to him about what I was hearing at the time. I can't do it now. But but anyway, and so he, he cleared his, and then he got back and he cleared mine. And anyway, after all that experience, I went to the place on the earth that has the most victimization and healed from it. But then I needed, and I replaced it with seeds of love, but then I needed to know what real spiritual power felt like. Because I did not know. Well, you know and that's now. When I, I know now. That's when I went to Cairo. That's when I went to the Great Pyramid. Wow. 
So, so back to the lady. What did you find out about the lady that you that was um, coming to you for a month? The lady was, and that's what I call her. I call her the lady. The lady was. I can tell you what kind of shoes she wore. <laughs> But the lady, uh, she had on kind of a gray suit, and she uh, had on dark shoes that were very looked like very 1940s, and she was rather tall. But she was on one of the cars. She had been helping hide children. That was what she was doing during the war. She was helping to hide children. And somehow she had gotten the care of twins, twin boys. And she wound up on one of those, I call them cattle cars, I don't know what else to call them, on one of those squeezed in with too many people on one of those cars and wound up getting off the, uh, at Auschwitz. And um, she was trying to hide the twins behind her, and she was put one place, and the twins were taken away. And uh, she did not make it. She was put in a gas chamber, and she did not leave the area until she found out about the twins. One of the twins was able to survive, but one of them did not. One of them was, um, um, let's just say, operated on in a horrible way. And I had all those visions. I had all those visions. And she, um, she hovered around and was able to issue the soul of the young young twin that boy that did not make it she was able to issue him him uh, to the other side okay so you felt like that you needed to go to places where a lot of victimization had taken place so when you got to cairo what did you find do you know at cairo i thought the panic attack was coming back Oh, no. I was, for the most part, finished with them, but I thought that's what it was. I was there. In the book, I have a real funny uh, um, um, conversation that went on with me and a man on a very tall camel who wanted me to pay my money and ride his camel and would not take no for an answer. And he was having the best time, and I surprised myself by standing up to him. I finally paid him 10 American dollars not to bother me for the rest of the trip. And he honored that. But it was really, it was a, it, it was funny, you know. And I said, and, and then after we negotiated, then he says, but I want euros. And we had to negotiate again. Well, I'm an American. I didn't have euros. And so we had to negotiate again. And I said, you know, where I live, your word is very important. Are you not going to honor your word? And we went on like that. And so he honored and he took my money and he did not bother me, but he waved at me everywhere I went. But anyway... I did not realize, my traveling companion was with me, we did not realize that after we stood in line to go into the Great Pyramid uh, that in Cairo that um, we had to have a separate ticket. And the closer I got to that pyramid, the more I was vibrating. And it wasn't exactly like a panic attack because I wasn't losing my eyesight. My hands were not numb, you know. My my heart was beating a little bit fast, but it, was, it, it couldn't be an excitement, but... But I was vibrating. I felt like I was. But anyway, so we got right up to, to where the, the guards were, taking tickets and cameras and all that kind of malarkey, and uh, and doing their jobs, and realized that we had to get a ticket. So um, everybody else that didn't have a ticket, they were told to go out and get a ticket and get back in line again. This man looked at me, this guard looked at me and said, you sit right here on the side of the pyramid. And we were like a third of the way up in the pyramid or something. Sit right here and do not move till he comes back and gets your ticket. Yes, sir. What I know now, that was a gift. 
I have learned spirit speaks through people, and that was a gift to me because I sat there for 45 minutes on the side of that pyramid, and it took me about that long to realize that what I was feeling was power. I was feeling an energetic power I had never felt in my life. Yeah. And that's what I was feeling. And I guess the man, uh, if you want to use conscious rationalization, I guess the man saw that I was troubled. But I like to think the other way. He Something spoke through him and knew that I needed to sit on the side before I got it. You know, yeah, because he I, did. Had to, I had to get this before I went in that pyramid. What year now, was that? I, Can you remember? Oh, yeah, either 2008 or 2009. Okay. I think it was 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, well, it wasn't 2009. It was either 2007 or 2008. I, I was there in uh, 1981 and again in 1983. So, Where were you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have well, many, right. I, many I wild stories about my times in, in Egypt. Uh, so, but yeah. I love, love yeah. hearing you so so when you went up into the king's chamber, what happened? Well, when I finally got to the king's chamber, do you remember the, the, the narrow, there was a staircase that was wide open, but then do you remember the narrow um, chamber that you had to kind of crawl on the rocks? Up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I like to have not made it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can, I, I, I remember that myself. I know. I didn't yeah, know what to make it either. But for those who have not been there, you can get on your hands and knees and reach your hands out and not ha- and touch each wall and not have to b- and and not be able to even straighten out your arms. You know, yeah. it is so narrow. And so I was climbing up slowly but surely like a turtle uh, who the morning after the day before, and um, all these people were behind me. Hurry up! Hurry up! Hurry! Well, I was hurrying up, but I was hurrying up in my own way. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, somebody passed me, which mean I had to splatter myself against the side of the wall so they could get by, you know. <laughs> but anyway, and I noticed there wasn't a whole lot of air in there, but everybody else seemed to be breathing fine. <laughs> so when you got to the, to the top and saw the box, what happened? I got to the top and saw the box, and I stood there a moment thinking, well, now what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And so I began to look around. There were two people that were walking around, and it looked like they were doing the old-fashioned Christian laying on of hands. You know, they were walking or touching the the side of the pyramid, the inside of the king's chamber, the walls, with their hands. And they'd move one hand and then another hand. And they did it with their hands held up high, and they did it with their hands right in front of them, and they did it with their hands low. And I thought, well, what are they feeling? And I touched a wall and... I'm not. I didn't feel like it was something I need to be doing. And then there was another group in the corner that were meditating, and and I thought, well, I'm trying it, but I had a monkey mind going on. You know, well, what are you supposed to be doing? Or why are you here? Or what are you feeling? Blah 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 blah. You know, on it went. It's like a chatty Cathy doll. And uh, so um, I took out my pen and paper. I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to, you know, write. You know, because I had been writing the other places and. Uh, um, nothing was coming. I thought, oh, why isn't it coming? Finally, I realized that I was an empath was soaking up this power, and I wasn't surrendering to what it was telling me. And so when I finally surrendered, uh, I do it through prayer, but, oh, okay, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to know? What is this telling me? What do you want me to know? 
then I got the message. It, it was more like, it is your choice. What is my choice? This is your choice. What you are feeling is your choice. I'm feeling power, but what is my choice? You're feeling power. Empowerment, power is yours. And it is your choice as to whether you accept it or not or what you do with it. And basically that was it. But it changed my life. Of course. Every one of my little adventures changed my life in some way. But you can't have all the big life changes at once. It would overwhelm you and you wouldn't get the message. You would just be overwhelmed. And so this this was a big one. You know, empowerment is yours. Empowerment is a God-given thing. It is a right of our birth. We are all mystical people. We have an inner mystic. Uh, we walk through the world as modern mystics, if you want to call it that. I like that term. Uh, as modern mystics, if we are awakened. And we we let the universe speak to us. We let the energy of the trees speak to us. We let the birds and the bees and the flowers speak to us. We let the earth speak to us. We ask for guidance, and it comes in a dream or some way. Uh, and it is our choice. We have choices. How are we going to use it? Are we going to use it against somebody? Are we Are going to use this power to benefit only ourselves? Are we going to use it to help humanity? It is our choice. And that's what I got in the Great Pyramid. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was fascinating. So did did you lie down in the box? No, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. I got what I needed to. Okay. And... Um, Scooted down, going down that little tunnel, or nearly as, as traumatic as going up it. <laughs> you know, when I was there, um, there was a picture taken uh, with someone in the in the box, and in the background, um, mm-hmm. this wall. And yeah. all these years later, I look at this picture, and every mm-hmm. year that I look at it, more writing happens on the wall. And it wasn't there oh, when I took the picture, but it's happening in the picture now. <laughs> How interesting. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's it's hieroglyphics and it's some kind of Egyptian. I mean, it's something that I uh, that I don't know what it says, of course. But I think yeah. it's very interesting that year after year if something is added to the wall in, in writing. How interesting. How do you feel when you see it? Um How do I feel when I see it? I go okay. I I see it. I I don't know what it means, but I'll put it on. I'll put it aside for later. Because one day, okay. when it gets through doing this, I'll I'll find the person that's going to tell me what it says. Ah, okay. I, I know it's I, I know it's it. a long process. It's something that yeah given to me, and I just have to be patient with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Patience is wonderful, but normally I want it yesterday. Oh, I know. <laughs> I have to work on patience. <laughs> Absolutely. I did well, get I also the noticed, uh, Patty, that, that you got a degree in metaphysics. Where did you get your degree in metaphysics? And tell us how that Let's works. Let's see. AI, American Institute of Holistic Theology. Okay. Yeah, that, that's what the, it's based in, and I think it's in Birmingham, Alabama. It's a correspondence school, but. Uh, I worked myself to death getting that thing, I'll tell you. But it was really interesting. I was I felt like I needed to do something to help myself along, and I was getting emails from them, and one day it just jumped off the page, study metaphysics. And so I started, and I had to start at the... At the um, um, let's see, I already had a four-year degree, so I had to start at the... Uh, 
the next level before I went through the, the doctorate work. And the next level, each course would have two or three books that we'd have to read and report on and do exercises with and various things. And at the doctorate level, sometimes there were five books when we would study something, you know. So so as I went to, to Europe back and forth in my travels, I would always take several books, you know, so I could answer the answer the questions and, and do my reporting and, and read and, and do my study work. And so it was really helpful to me. I tend to be, well, I am a very strong introvert, and I'm a highly sensitive person also, like Elena Aaron describes in her book, The Highly Sensitive Person. So so uh, you won't find me doing well in crowds of people, but put me in nature with a book in my hand, and, and I do very, very, very well. So, so I would take those things on my study, and it was amazing because everything I was reading was pertinent to where I was at the time. Oh, that's isn't that it perfect was, when it happens? It was. It was perfect. It was perfect. It was perfect. The thing that I realized in 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 looking through your book, and I sat here and, and yeah. read about thirty minutes before I before the mm-hmm. show. You write very well. You write in such oh, a way that really it it gets to your brain and then to your heart instant. I, I love the way you write. I think I have you had... the way you talk, and that's a and that's a plus. Well, I have learned to talk like I write. <laughs> the writing for that. me came first. That. So, when life cried out, what a beautiful, what a beautiful title! And uh, oh, thank I think you. that that our listeners would really uh, enjoy reading your book. How do how how do you um, are you on Amazon, or should people go through War Amazon? How do they find yes. your book? They can find it through Amazon. Okay. It's on Kindle, uh, uh, and um, it's on uh, in paperback. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, at this time, I, I would like to um, share with my co-host Ariel, uh, and so Ariel, why don't you go ahead and see if we have people on the switchboard that, that would like to call and, and talk to Patty. And Patty, I I so appreciate you uh, coming and being our guest this evening, and maybe we'll talk oh, later by phone. It. Okay. Thank I've you. enjoyed it. I don't always get to talk about the very, very intuitive things, so this has just been a walk through the park for me. I love it. Well, you know, we have <laughs> such an intuitive awake audience, so and I'm sure this they're is all wonderful. loving everything that you're saying. My people are out there. This is great. <laughs> so back to you, Ariel. Okay. Yeah, it's we do have um, a very enlightened audience, and um, it's just a pleasure to have someone talking about things that I think a lot of people can identify with because in our work in um, doing sessions with people, there are, there's a lot of similarities of people who know that there's something more and they feel that there's something something blocking or stopping and they get flashes. But um, and, and it's so parallel to the journey that you've described so I'm sure that um, your book will be very helpful to people that um, that are trying to cross that bridge. Uh, I think sometimes there's a timing. That uh, um, If you would have told me in my 30s that I would be traveling to places and, and doing an intuition, I would have just looked at you and thought, yeah, sure, uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed a word of it. <laughs> But in my 50s, it was, uh, I don't know, a guiding star just just 
popped into my life because I asked for it. That's right. I it asked goes for back it. You know, when you when you asked for anything that was blocking you to be removed from your life, I mean that was a very courageous uh, thing to do because you had no idea how how that was going to look in um, the third dimension. I really. I really didn't have any idea how that was going to work. I just knew that my life as it was was not working. I was ready to get out of this life, and I was very serious about doing it. And I'd already had my plans. And But a one stage one melanoma appeared on my back, and a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stage one melanoma taught me it wasn't death I wanted. It was life, life, and I wasn't living it. And it began to cry out at me. That's such an inspirational story. Um, And if anyone who is listening, if you've already called in to our uh, switchboard and you would like to make a comment or ask a question of Patty, then you'll need to press 1 on your keypad so we know you want to come on the air. And if you're listening on the computer, then you'll need to dial 917-889-8292 and then press 1 after you get into the switchboard so that we know you want to come on the air. So um, while we're waiting to see if we have anybody with questions, um, you had mentioned in, um, in in some of the materials that you sent about your trip to Ireland. You want to talk about that leg of oh. the journey? Yes, that was one of the first trips I had taken. And I think it was a harmonic concordance, uh, if, if that's the correct terminology. Uh, the planets were lining up in some special way that was supposed to be something wonderful. And I wasn't familiar with any of it. And it was close to the, uh, let's see, was it the turn of the century? No, it was after the turn of the century. It was after 2004. So right in there sometime, maybe 2003, it was after 2003. So right in there sometime, uh, uh, I got a trip to Ireland, the trip from Europe. It cost $80. And I thought for $80, I've got to go. It was a last-minute flight. And so I went to the Hill of Tara, my traveling companion, I went to the Hill of Tara. We thought that would be a nice place to go during the the planet alignment that was supposed to be so spectacular. And so we were sitting there. It wasn't sunset, but it was late in the afternoon, and we looked, and, and there were two... Uh, um, oh, I think was it Neolithic times? There were uh, anyway, there were two areas, and one looked very, very feminine to us, and one little area looked very, very masculine to us. But that was just our take on it, and we were sitting there talking about the masculine and the feminine, you know, uh, of that. And I looked across across a highway down the hill, across the highway in a little valley, and up on another hill there were the ruins of a church, and all of a sudden, I said, shouted out loud. I startled my companion. I said, "That's where I have to be." <laughs> and so, so we we found it and wiggled, and, and uh, it was like the the ride at Disney World, Mister Toad's Wild Ride. That's about what it was because we were trying to get there before dark. And we got there. It was the church at Screen, S K R E E N. I believe is how it's pronounced. I've got it in the book. I've described it in the book. But it's also on the Internet if somebody wants to look it up. And uh, it was an older church, maybe from 1200s, and just the walls were there and part of a bell tower. 
but I got there and uh, um, there was some literature that was written on a sign, a permanent sign, and so my companion was looking at that. I wanted to see what the walls were saying. I wanted to see what my experience was going to be. And so I was doing a walk. The grass was very high, and and I was walking, and the... Um, we left the the hill tower Tara to go over, you know, to the to church's screen, and so I was walking almost like a walking meditation, and I just thought it would be really interesting. I went inside what was the church building, and I went to the back of it. And I thought it would be really interesting as the sun was beginning to set, to sit there and watch the sun set in Ireland over the over the um, uh, the hill there, the hill of Tara, and uh, I became intuitively aware of the presence of holy men around me and it, it was a it was a vision it was an intuitive experience and and um that was the first time i had ever felt really 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 connected to the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and the planet and people who had gone before and people who had gone after me it was my first it was my first real mystical connection, and um, and it was like the uh, the the forms, the beings, the the people who were on the other side, uh, monks or whoever, um, or maybe somebody in monk form. I don't know, but it was like they were saying, "Yes, this is your connection. Yes, this is your connection. Open up, feel it, feel it, feel it." And it was so very important for me to have had that experience. It really, really was. It was delightful. And that's pretty uh, very Yet another way. time when you were never the same after you left. Yes, it was one of those things. I've, I've been uh, reading, I think, a mystical experience is something that is, ex- well, it's experienced, it's felt. And it's a divine connection, if you want to call it that, and and you are changed. You know, it's it's it, it life is life changing, and I can say yes, <laughs> definitely, mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely. I have no doubt about it. <laughs> well, we have yeah. um, we have a caller that is um, on the line here with a comment for you. So we're going to talk to Dex in just a second here. Let me get the microphone open. Hi, Dex. You are on the air with Patty. Hey. Hi, Patty. Hi, Anastasia Lavendar. Hello. Hello. Patty, I I just have to say, uh, I I don't have a question, but I just was so inspired by you. Your energy, your presence, uh, I love the style of how you spoke and your stories. Um, I just, I felt a very deep rush of energy within myself of just, of inspiration, and and you, there's so much strength and courage came from you to do this because I can relate about getting on planes and um, being very much an introvert, and it stopped me from doing a lot of things. And I just, yeah, hearing you speak in your stories, like I, I think you're adorable, your style and the way you speak. I just, I, I love it. But um, I just, it gave me a complete rush of of courage and energy and just inspiration uh, is you're extremely powerful and i just wanted to uh, to share that and and tell you thank you thank you for sharing your stories and um yeah really really inspirational thank you you have no idea how much that means to me i really 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 appreciate you you having the courage to get on 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 the air and say that thank you very much it really means a lot to me well thank you patty like i said i think you're just absolutely a, 
adorable. I actually loved your style and was speaking and just, yeah, it just, it really touched me. And so uh, a lot of gratitude and love to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, thank <laughs> you. And from one, interv- from one introvert to another one, <laughs> high five. <laughs> right, right. Thanks up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine you're going to be uh, checking out the book to to really get yes, the Yes, oh, my gosh. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm so excited about finding out about her and her story. Thank you. Well, you're so welcome. Oh, thank you. And, I appreciate uh, and, that. Enjoy the book. So thanks for calling in, Dex. Thanks, Anastasia. Thanks, Patty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, that was nice well, to hear. That was just yeah. so yeah. beautifully said, and and I'm I'm sure that um, Dex was speaking for a lot of people who um, maybe won't hear the show until tomorrow. Um, as a lot of people listen in the archives, and um, you know, download the shows and listen to them over and over again in their oh, yeah. 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 devices. So. Um, this will obviously be heard after the fact for a lot of you, but we do encourage you to um, pick up not only When Life Cried Out, but also Patty's other book, The Making of a Mystic. And, you know, I was listening to, um, in the earlier part of your interview with Lavendar, about the moving of trauma from one place in the brain to another place, um, kind yeah. of getting it location where you can edit. Um, that's the kind of the way I was I was comparing it like to a computer. There are some places where you can't edit, um, but you have to move it someplace else, and then you can edit. And um, That's a good the, way to describe it, because that's exactly well, what the, happens. The, and I know that, that writing brings things into the third dimension and out of the you know, the, the dimensions of thought and um, and beyond. But uh, I seem to remember learning uh, a long time ago. I'm going to try to see if I can uh, recall it correctly. But when you read something, it goes into um, your like your analytical brain. And mm-hmm. if you only hear something... It's it's it stays somewhere else, and, I, and I'm I'm not remembering the details of that, but I know that there was some kind of a catalyst when you um, uh, when you write something, you can um, I guess you can look at it from a completely different perspective because it's been relocated yes. to another what, part of the brain. Is the point what, that you were making? What, uh, Yes, it's exactly what I was talking about. From what I've read, uh, the act of writing, you know, when you write something, you read what you're writing. And so the act of writing involves your reading what you are writing. So you are reading your own story that way. That's why if you have had a trauma in your life, and my goodness, at this point in this world, in this day and time, who hasn't? But uh, and if you're stuck with that, write it and write all the details that you can remember and then read it. And you're moving it from the trauma center into another center of your brain where you can rationalize it and talk about it. Is that because I think that's the- fascinating. The 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 trauma um, is in the feeling part, or the um, 
the the feminine the part is in your fight. Or, it's in your fight or flight. Fight or flight. It's in the base. Yeah, the fight or flight area of the brain. It's at the top of the bottom of the skull, top of the neck, in the back. And it's it's the uh, fight or flight type part of the brain. I really am going to have to get out a book and learn more about the brain, <laughs> so I can talk more intelligently. But yeah, well, um, you know, and uh, um, I also read someplace because I studied graphology for a while, um, and you yeah. know how people's personality comes through their their handwriting. But it also made oh, yeah. the point in this in this book that I read is that it goes the other way too. So if you deliberately change your handwriting, like if you want mm-hmm. um, if you want to be more physically active, then you should make the the loop on your on your cursive P bigger. Little things like that. If you concentrate on changing your handwriting, it goes the other way as well. So. And I'm wondering how this ties in with um, the act of writing and uh, you know, putting things in an area where you can change them. Um, but it's, it's just it's, it would it's be fascinating, fascinating to read about uh, to study. It, it really would. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, doc- maybe you doctorate story. Doctor- Some of the doctoral <laughs> students out there, we've just given you a lovely idea for a thesis. <laughs> 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 right, right. Well, I mean, it's amazing how accurate. Um, I mean, oh, in, in Europe, if you apply for a job, they have mm-hmm. um, an, a, a, a company astrologer and a company graphologist. Because if you put the the person in the in the wrong position, it's going to cost the company money. So you make sure that you've got the person who's really well suited for the job, and they they yeah. often um, rely on astrology and and handwriting to to make sure that those things are compatible. But yeah, I, I find I it uh, fascinating. So um, I, I don't think we have any other callers with questions, but I'm going to do a, a um, last call for questions if you want to, or a comment that you might have for Patty. Uh, press 1 on your keypad or dial in at 917-889-8292. So, do you have another book in the offing and on on the back burner or front burner? It's in the middle burner. <laughs> in the middle burner. I'm halfway okay. through. I'm halfway through. As as most books, you, you start out, you have this idea of what you want to write about, and then it takes a life of its own. And by the time you're in the middle of it, you think. Ah, this is what this book is going to be about. And so then you go in the front again and you tweak it and get to where you thought you were to begin with, and that's the place I'm at right now with this other book. And it's another book on mysticism, and um, very much like my first two, it's more of a how can I connect to my inner mystic. It's, It's more like that. And um, I think it's going to have to have, I I know, it's got some wonderful... um, um, suggestions, uh, five different steps that you can do. And we all need to be more connected. We really do. There's no final in place, I don't think, as to how connected we really can get to the to the spiritual realm or uh, um, whatever, you know, the higher self. There's, there's always room to grow. There's always room for a higher vibration. Oh, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was yeah. just saying last so I'm week. I'm having a good was, time. I'm, 
on last week's show because we are all on a path of ascension, but it's a it's an upward spiral that never ends. It isn't. But, it isn't. Yeah, no, upward no matter spiral. where you are, um, you, there's always there's an endless uh, um, ascension. So that's why. By the first, time you think you're there, you realize you're nowhere, and you start again. It is an upward spiral. Well, that's right. <laughs> all while I was growing up. You know, when I got into the first grade, I thought, oh, now I'm now I'm really grown up. Last year was just kindergarten, you know, and then every year <laughs> since then, you know, going through school, it's like, ah, oh, now I'm in seventh grade or so. I thought I, I thought I was grown up last year, but this is really the year. And that's been going on my whole life, thinking that, okay, I got it all figured out now. And then the next year it's like, I didn't know anything. Now I'm going to go. So it's, it's a constant process of refining and ascending and and just raising our frequency, uh, and if that evolution ever stops, then then you really are done. You're just toast. <laughs> you really are done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You really yeah. are done. There's no done, there's really no done place that, that that I can that I have been able to discover. Besides, I think the the path of growth is exciting. I think it's fun. Oh, absolutely. I think it's fun. When I meant done, I don't mean done like. Arrived, but done like you know. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Life yeah, over, game over. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And as long as you're growing, yeah. you mean done isn't stuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, being done isn't stuck. It, it's just uh, yeah. Uh, the words I chose for um, for crossing over. You're just out of there. Next life, let's try to do it better this time. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's always a question. We'll try this again. <laughs> Yeah, never stop improving, and because yeah. if you're not if you're not growing, then you're dying. There's only two kinds of energy, like Lavendar has been teaching for all these years. The only two kinds of energy is up spiral and down spiral. It's uh, you know alive and living, or death and dying. So I think that's we very keep true. it. We try to keep it on the up spiral all the time, as much as we can. Yeah. Well, Patty, yeah. it's just been delightful I, to have you with us, and um, I, I hope that you do so well with this book because I think you've got a wonderful message, and it is very inspirational uh, because it happened to you, you know, and and you're you're telling a story that's very personal and very courageous. You know, there are people that well, didn't have all the issues with, you know, the the panic attacks and the agoraphobia and all of that. Um, and you did it even with that. So, uh, congratulations, and we we hope that you. Well, thank you, uh, thank you. It was, it was uh, just a total surrender. On and the only thing I did was a total surrender, and then followed guidance. That that really is is sums it up in a very simple sentence. But it wasn't a simple process because anybody that's made big changes in their life know that you're upsetting the status quo of other people. They they tend to see you in one way, and when you become a different way, then they either leave your life or attack or whatever, you know. And so all mm-hmm. of that is part of the process. But as you grow and spiral upward, as Lavender says, then you... Uh, uh, you know that there's something good going on, whether others understand it or not. And you know. You just know. You feel it. Yeah, yeah. And and certainly, you know, when you when you made the point of what what scares you the most, you know, right. that was a huge a huge revelation. Does it scare you more to stay it stuck? Was. 
you know, or to it's, go on. And, and that, I felt you like I wasn't, point. yeah, I felt mm-hmm. like if I was stayed in that one place stuck, then I wasn't doing whatever it was that I was put here to do. Oh, I know. And then the the, yeah. the sadness, the sadness over that uh, is oh, just, it's just unbearable for all of us. Who, it is. You know, it know is. that we're here. Yeah. We're here yeah. to what? help raise the consciousness on the planet. And, you know, thinking about all the things that, that Anastasia was reporting in the news, all of it was just echoes of Atlantis where technology was growing too fast and spirituality gets it gets out of balance and that's that's a recipe for disaster so we really must um catch up spiritually as a as a race yes most definitely most mm-hmm. definitely yeah so yeah. once again your website is pattyfivet.com and that's p a d d y f i e v e t dot com, and your book is available on Amazon. I'm sure there's links on your website as well as on the Warwick Associates website. And when you get that new book done, please come back and and be with us again. Oh, I would love it. I have thoroughly enjoyed being able to talk about intuition and being led and and all these things to an awakened audience. It's just fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I appreciate you having me. Oh, it was our pleasure. So on behalf of all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we would like to thank you all for listening and um, enjoy the autumnal equinox as well as the um, lunar eclipse coming up on the 27th. Until then, everyone, take care and keep smiling. Good night. Good night. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.